Welcome everybody to the DCVC podcast. This is your host Akash Bhat and each week I bring you investors and operators investing and building companies in the diverse tech landscape of India. Well today is yet another special episode for us here on the show because we've got Parag Dhol the general partner of Athira Venture Partners here on the podcast. If there was ever a book written about the history of Indian venture capital Parag would certainly feature in it and perhaps even write the foreword for it as he's been an Indian VC for a good part of 3 decades. He started his VC career with ICICI Ventures, India's first venture capital firm, all the way back in 1993. He followed that up with stints at GE and Intel's corporate venture arms. Parag later joined Athira, previously known as Inventus Capital, back in 2008. shortly after the close of the first fund he is and was a board director and observer at red bus etechies power to sme policy bazaar avaz peelworks tricog worksogo pixel and cluetrack he also holds a btech and mechanical engineering from iit delhi and an mba from iim bangalore i'm extremely thrilled to share this episode with each and every one of you because we had a very candid conversation about the history and evolution of indian venture capital here on the show but more importantly parak shares all of his fantastic insights that he's collected over 3 decades of investing in india and i'm extremely excited for all of you to listen to it so without further ado here's parak Parag, welcome to the Desi VC podcast. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to host you here today. I have been looking forward to this moment ever since we had the possibility of having and scheduling something on the cards. So, firstly, welcome to the podcast, and second, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, and thanks for having me. Well, as I was saying before the recording began, you've been in venture capital for a good part of three decades now, and if there were few people that anybody wanted to sit down with and get a chance to understand what indian venture capital look like and what the evolution has been i'm sure you will be one of the first people on that list so <laughs> having said that context for some of our listeners one i want to understand how did your journey in venture capital begin before even delving into the history of venture capital in the country let's go let's head into that and really talk about what led you to becoming a vc all the way back in the early 90s okay so i call it the russian roulette of placement uh, because at that point in time uh, when sigabrel nobody knew anything about in the country it was it was uh, one of those things that captured two pages in some book of ours on finance etc etc uh, but uh, it, this we are talking 1990s i guess early 90s so uh, nobody knew anything about uh, i wanted what i uh, described as a finance job an engineer going on to do an mba typically wants to is good at numbers wants to do something with finance and uh, i got into venture capital thinking it was a finance job uh, only when you get into you realize it is a general management and and uh, that kind of a role it's a much broader role than just finance obviously uh, so uh, it was it was more happenstance than anything but over a period of time realized that it suited my temperament i tended to uh, think long term uh, i could live with the scenario let's say sales guys some of my friends close friends who who are naturally sales guys i am not uh, who would look for short feedback loops i am not that kind so uh, that helped and i kind of uh, stuck to it but it was not not very well thought through i should say uh, getting into it uh, so i think one of the words that you used there to describe your the role was also temperament and that's such a that that, that I, i want to get, i want to delve a little bit more deeper into that and why would you why why is it so important to have that personality fit with venture capital or just getting into anything that has to do with investments and working with early stage companies because temperament is so important in many high high pressure performing um uh, uh, careers and professions and venture capital happens to be one of those and having the right temperament getting into venture capital especially today is also very important because people look at it from the outside and 
believe and think that it is such a sexy profession without really understanding the nitty-gritties and the grind that most people who are in venture capital go through and and least of all the fund managers right it's a stressful job it's not as easy as you know it seems on the outside because there are a million things a fund manager does from day one so take us through why you use the word temperament and how is temperament really you know played a huge role in you being a very successful fund manager over the years so uh, when i uh, referred to temperament i i wanted to say uh, things like delayed gratification patience long term orientation etc etc because in this business uh, only about 3 to 5 years from when you have made your first investment and made a few subsequent ones as well do you realize whether you are cut out for it or not so it takes a, a cycle of 5 years to figure out whether you are cut out for it or not which is which is a very a strange place to be because if after 5 uh, years you realize you do not have a gut for it and gut is a part of it uh, so uh, you you are left with no particular skills so what do you do next uh, is the question so this is one business where i always uh, just like you were saying people want to get into it and i use exactly the same phrase uh, because it is a sexy industry they see it from the outside etc but we have to realize that in any job and i think about venture capital like more as a profession than a job but uh, that apart uh, in in anything there is a humdrum part to it isn't it uh, 50% yeah. not maybe not 50% but 30 to 40% of the plans that that you read on a on a daily basis are probably not uh, in the sense that they they're not very worthwhile isn't yeah. it but you still have to go through them simply because you have to be fair to every entrepreneur and there there might be one line in there which which strikes you as something extraordinary so so there is a humdrum part to it and which is the piece people uh, miss and mm-hmm. the long long feedback cycles is what what but the rewarding part on the other side i should also mention is that this is one of the best jobs that a mba can hope to get okay mm-hmm. simply because it places you on a perch you you are following a company for 5 7 10 years the amount of learning that you have and through its early stages of the journey uh, the uh, some fall through the uh, cracks some uh, some never cross that chasm or whatever etc uh, etc et so you learn from that and the ones that pass through also go through their own shares of ups and downs so if you are a real student of business and when i did my mba i didn't I didn't think about it in those terms uh, if you are want to be a real student of business there can't be a better perch in my view than venture capital especially technology venture capital which is uh, by its very nature far more it has far more cycles than uh, let us say uh, a standard venture capital investing in far more stable industries uh, where uh, the sense of obsolescence is so high in technology that's what i meant no, i agree with that and i've obviously not even you know been one tenth of the time in venture capital as you have and um, you know the little time that i've spent i've realized that one the guess the learning is immense two you also learn a lot about yourself you know you talked about being cut out for venture capital or not but in my opinion i also learned a lot more about just my personality whether you know i i have what it takes to work with founders do i have the patience to to support them to can i learn as much and learn enough about the companies that we've invested in the sectors that we've invested in to keep up to have a better understanding because you know most funds at least when they begin um because you don't have a lot of area of expertise tend to be agnostic and that basically means you end up having you are or you end up knowing a lot about a lot of sectors from a surface level and you are never able to do a deep dive and that in my opinion at least for somebody like me that early in my career as well um you know having still spent about 14 years in the industry but venture capital still which is being 13 to 3 years and 3 and a half years into it still feels like you know you really don't know much and i think that also goes back to what aristotle said back in the day the more you learn about something the less you the less you know which is great kind of makes you always sound stupid feel stupid like read something and you're like damn this kind of is always surprising me did that ever happen to you as well along the way wherein you know in spite of just being in the industry for the good part of the last three decades there are things that today even surprise you when you speak to founders or when you learn about new sectors that are emerging like can i also humble you to an extent 
No, so let me give you an example, and that's a brilliant question. Uh, we have this company called Pixel, uh, which is a space tech company. You might yeah. or might not have heard of it. Uh, uh, idea is to put up uh, uh, hyperspectral satellites into space, which image the Earth, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and specific applications. Now, a bunch of guys, when I first met them, which was December of 2019, they were probably 21, 22 years old. They came in, they met me and a colleague of mine who happens to be five, six years senior to them uh, from Bitspilani. Uh, we fell off our chairs. Uh, I mean, the guys were so brilliant. Some of us who went to the IITs think the world of themselves, isn't it? These guys were, and you tend to think about bits as, as the uh, school after that, isn't it? And these guys were not just so brilliant in terms of sheer IQ, but but at that age to to be able to explain business to understand to think about a roadmap three years five years into the future talk about culture of a company etc etc it it made i and i was probably 50 years old then and it made me feel so insecure these 21 year old 22 year olds um, but we made an instant decision that the two of us, Saksham and I, that we need to put these guys in front of the partnership. And within within a week or two, we had committed to them. So that was the good part of it. But this business is all about, and I come, come to office every day simply because uh, you get to meet people like uh, Awes and Shitich uh, once yeah. in a while. It doesn't happen every day. That is too much to expect. But it is it is these these extraordinary one hours that you get at times, which I don't think you get into many jobs. So that's that's the piece that excites you, but humbles you tremendously as well. That's a very good example. And Pixel is one of those companies that often comes up when I speak to especially deep tech investors as well in the country. And um, while we have a very few a subset of deep tech start uh, uh, VC funds in India, all of them bring up an example sharing the wonderful experience or encounter they had the first time that they met the founders. So it kind of resonated there as well and took me back to um, you know one of the companies that I first made an investment into, which is in the renewable space. I had never looked at renewables before. I had very little understanding of renewables. It took me about a month to research every single day to have a little bit of understanding to know what the founders were really talking about. And to even get to a point where I felt comfortable sitting in the room with somebody and coming from a place of, hey, can I even question you? Because you seem to know so much more about something than I, I ever could. And here I am, unfortunately, in this vantage point where I am asking you questions, coming from a again, coming from a place where I don't think I had any right to be asking you any question either. So we often are put into situations where, you know, the founders typically end up being much, much more smarter in some cases, and more importantly, have a higher propensity to like know more about that domain than we ever could, and we ever will. And yet, you know, we're at a point where we had, we ask questions and we are the ones who are taking a call whether it's going to be successful or not. So that aspect about venture capital always, you know, makes me laugh. Wherein sometimes the investors may or may not know a lot of things. And yet we are the ones who are taking a call on whether a business can or cannot work. Then the other side, the founders are the ones who come with domain expertise. So I don't know. Uh, have you have you read a book or heard about uh, this book called Range? Uh, it is yes. by a guy called David Epstein, who argues for generalists versus specialists. And yes. and I, I think that that argument appeals to me. Uh, that see, our business is about being generalist. Is about looking for patterns across disciplines. Uh, whereas the founder, somebody like Abbas or somebody who is doing electric vehicles, uh, mm -hmm. I will never know. Uh, a tenth of what they know about batteries or space, as the case may be. That I don't even aspire to go there because I don't have the 10,000 hours to be an expert in the uh, first place. And that is why they are experts. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's in those horizontal business learnings that uh, we can help uh, across subjects, across disciplines. And that's something that I, I look at myself as. That mm -hmm. uh, That's also an orientation. It has 
has to match with what you want to do. I, I, I'm both an engineer and MBA like you. So to that extent, I can go deep and, and figure out space if I want to. And for a month, it will excite me. But I'll know, I know that six months later, if I keep on studying the same thing or go deeper and deeper, I'll go and get bored of it so i want the breadth also so uh, i have found my peace right. <laughs> you are maybe <laughs> young into it but i have found my peace in in uh, not being hopefully just an inch deep uh, slightly deeper than that but i'm i found my peace in being wide uh, more wide than than deep and i think that is another way to contribute on the board is my argument that's a very interesting point that you bring up there because um that opportunity to have, you know, probably go in one inch deeper than just the surface level and really having the opportunity to play across a wide canvas is also something that takes time to understand, develop, and more importantly, really get a sense of how that, what, what role do you play when you get to a point where you have that canvas and for you personally, right? When, what was that tipping point where you really start to like understand who you are as an investor, because I can relate to the early days and saying that one day you could perhaps get very excited about certain sectors and you're like, okay, this is something where I'm going to spend the next five years of my life learning as much as possible while also keeping an eye out for everything that's on the periphery and consume knowledge as much as I can. But at the same time, you know, there's a personality that changes over time. It evolves over time. And for you to also understand who you are as a person in respect to who you are as a professional in your profession is also very different. And that contrast sometimes can actually lead you down a path where you may end up spending more time and then realizing that this is probably not what you wanted to do and you come back and you take a step back and you kind of have to go in multiple directions, right? So that's happened with me a couple of times. I've spoken to a few other fund managers who've been in the industry for like five, 10 years. They've kind of like gone through that too. Is in the process of discovering themselves, they've discovered that what they were doing in venture was not something that really suited them or vice versa, but they eventually ended up understanding what they do best. And therefore they kind of had to like also then mold and change some of their investing styles and the way that they work. What was that inflection point for you where you kind of like realized that now I have a feeling that this is, you know, where I am and this is what I do best. And how long did that take you to actually like come to that realization? For me, I can't uh, point to a specific uh, time timeline and say this is this is when it happened. It's it's mm -hmm. a journey more than a destination, I would say, and and I'm still not there, uh, so to speak. So it's a question of uh, what kind of reading you do, who influences uh, you, etc. In my case, for instance, when I when I talk about investing in particular, most of my examples are actually public market investing, two people in particular. So uh, I've, I've uh, greatly benefited from, uh, for example, in, in, uh, in uh, connection with something that you said earlier, I, I think... Uh, uh, if what matters is not just IQ. IQ is a given; otherwise, we wouldn't be in the room, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, but it's it's the nervous system uh, that is important. So those those kind of things appeal to you about investing at a point in time. So so you think about whether you want to be a public market investor or you won't. So th that that transition or that that uh, dilemma I did go through uh, because I I discovered I was good at public markets as well, etc. But public markets was boring it was it was doing the same thing over and over again applying a set of rules and and just discipline clean discipline but you never met an abyss there isn't mm -hmm. it because you are not meeting people you're just looking at numbers and all of that so yeah. uh, so uh, this i was doing on my own personal capacity to improve uh, myself as an uh, as an investor etc cetera, etc cetera, as well and and india has a lot of small companies so thankfully you can you can do that you can play that game so uh, you you learn uh, as as you're investing, I did it for 10 years, a uh, good 10 years. And uh, I, I learned about myself in the process. And in 2015, I gave it up, got to board and, and I focused more. I think the confidence starts coming somewhere between the ages of 35 and 45, I would assume, uh, if you've been in investing long enough. And, and that's when you realize that, yes, uh, some of the 
things that people say about you, uh, some of your entrepreneurs, okay, uh, that was an insight perhaps, uh, that, that I hadn't thought about. That's when you realize that you are adding some value to the process and then, then the confidence grows and you kind of realize that the system is working. Let me, let me kind of build on it. So I wouldn't point to a point. Uh, I can't point to a point, I should say. Uh, it's, it's a journey. This has also been the first time that somebody has actually shared a little bit more about their public market investing journey mm-hmm. in, I'll be briefly, but also in the context of like venture capital. So I want to like take and follow up with one question there, which is what did public market investing really teach you a lot about private market investing? Or was there even lessons that you could have learned that kind of even are applicable today while you stopped investing about seven years ago? Like, do those principles, the learnings that you had investing and doing that, you know, religiously disciplined, being disciplined on that, kind of like continue to have its fruits even in venture capital? Yes, it did. Uh, for instance, I think what it taught me uh, was that small companies, even in standard uh, sectors, take some time before they become uh, cash machines, so to speak. That's when at least a company on the public market gets its valued, isn't it? So Mm -hmm. uh, you know that there is a rhythm to business. Uh, You realize there is a rhythm to business. And most of us VCs, I think one of the biggest negatives, I would say, about the VC industry in general is we try and push that rhythm too hard at Mm. times. We try and go against the rhythm of that business, against the flow or the natural progression that that business can have and push our founders because at the end of the day, they, uh, I mean, we are, as we know, as you know, we build 20 companies in the portfolio. They have that one asset, isn't it? It's it's a skewed equation. So, so it's a, uh, that is something that gave me the understanding that, okay, uh, yes, if a company in two, three years is not growing at the pace that I would have liked it to, that doesn't mean that it is the uh, entrepreneur's fault, but there is something underlying in, in the business. For example, we have a very dim view of, let us say, companies selling their wares, whether it is software or whatever, to schools mm-hmm. in India, because, because there are many, many dynamics there without, without getting into that. But uh, to blame a founder for, uh, for not being able to grow a company uh, which is selling to schools in India, in my mind, is a very bad place to be. That's, that's, you don't realize the dynamics of the market. And mm-hmm. uh, some of those things that you learn from investing in small companies uh, in India, how they are undervalued because of a reason. At a point in time, they turn turn positive on cash. That's when uh, everything falls to the bottom line. That's when the PE start, uh, suddenly starts growing. So all that which is academically taught to you or or you think about it academically, when you see it working uh, in, in real life, uh, tends to tell you, uh, uh, tends to have parallels in, in, in this world. Yes, uh, the kind of companies that I invested in were always non-tech companies. So to that extent, I can't say they were, they were functional learnings from here to there, but mm-hmm. overall business learnings in terms of uh, what to look for, in terms of growth, what to look for, the importance of uh, uh, of capital, the usage of capital, for instance, Buffett and others talk about. And unfortunately, <laughs> venture capital in India, in particular, doesn't <laughs> realize that uh, that to be a problem. But some of those things are so important. Is is uh, is what you carry as lessons into into the world, and and I try to maintain as much discipline as possible as a consequence. Now, to have an um... To, to delve a little bit more deeper into one of the points that you made there, which was with respect to, you know, selling to schools, right? Keeping that example in mind, the question that I have is, how does that then not become a bias for an investor or create blind spots in the future? Because as you mentioned, right, one of the things that you really love about this job is the fact that it continues to surprise you and humble you over the years, because there are things that we discover along the way, which is you know, throw us off our seat as you did with, with Pixel. But in the case of, let's say, selling to schools or for another investor, it could be something else. At what point does that then become a bias or a blind spot wherein while there may be another opportunity which could actually disrupt the market to an extent where it changes everybody's perception? What if as an early stage investor, you're almost shut off to that idea because of an existing or a preconceived notion about the market? How do you have a fine balance between 
you know while understanding the market in its current state but also kind of keeping an open mind to a possible disruptor who could walk through your door tomorrow oh absolutely brilliant question it's not an easy thing to do well, biases is something that we all uh, all suffer from but they also say uh, it's it's a sign of intelligence to be able to uh, to keep two competing thoughts in your head and not lose your mind isn't it so, mm-hmm. so that's that's also our jobs that's also something that we need to do for example uh, let me take an example uh, you could uh, somebody who's my age will always say that the last software tool company that Uh, that made uh, vc money was borland which goes back 25 30 years isn't it but a postman came along and nexus was smart enough to invest in it isn't it so so uh, to that extent if you uh, kind of shut off something completely because of just pattern matching without accounting for that entrepreneur in between or the change circumstances uh, in the market in between uh, and taking some risk obviously in the process uh, you you will miss out on opportunities and and uh, that's the that's the thing i uh, when i think about ourselves as a firm we make very few mistakes of commission errors of commission are very very few uh, because that's mm-hmm. who we are but we make errors of omission and uh, that borland example would be errors of omission uh, which which you have to prevent yourself from doing and that requires you to be uh, thinking about Uh, who you are etc etc thinking about that problem daily and mm-hmm. like this guy i met yes he is selling to schools but he is he is doing something extraordinarily uh, this thing let me churn it in my head for the next 15 days and can i come to a different answer or or have a bunch of guys who have uh, along with you who are younger who don't suffer from that bias and can prevent uh, doing that uh, prevent you from making that that mistake so that mm-hmm. is why diversity in the firm is also important and we are focused on that in particular and those are some of the techniques that you can employ but nevertheless uh, once a bias sets into a firm that selling to schools is a bad idea it is it is once bitten to shy as george michael sang many years ago uh, that's that's a very very hard sentiment to get over get over right over. yeah and you have a lot of investors you know i'll put myself in this bracket as well who are probably very early into their investing careers and as you mentioned we see such a long game uh, where you even learn about yourself perhaps in your 6 7 8 years whether you're actually cut out for it or not and while we have a large number of listeners who also tend to fall into that category in the early days of your own investing journey were there instances where you personally had to surround yourself with the right resources tools people anybody or anything that could give you a little bit more understanding about your own personality and your own styles of thinking while yes of course you came from a school of independent thought you obviously had access to this um, fantastic network of people both with your undergrad education and your grad school education and you you obviously had that core group of people that you probably spent a lot of time with in both those institutions and at your work as well how important was you, is it to, for you to surround yourself with things that kind of like pushed you beyond the capacity of the role that you were in and kind of made you feel uncomfortable every single day because where you are today you've accumulated and compounded with that information and knowledge of working with people knowing the industry in and out for a good part of the last 30 years wherein now today when you to look back in retrospect yes it kind of like makes a lot of sense because there are a lot of data points along the way that have led you to form patterns and have a better understanding of what and who you are today as a person but in the early days if i were to take you back to the 90s where you were investing when the opportunities in venture capital also were far and few in between didn't really have as many companies that you were getting to look at, look at as you perhaps do right now so how does one really think about in that context because i'm very sure like 20 years from now there will be many more companies than somebody who was investing today would probably have access to which it's always going to be relative in in time when we speak so having put that context if you were to you know look back and give some suggestions to a younger parag of um, you know this is probably what will really help you or something that you may have done in your early days that kind of now in retrospect really put you in a unique position to be successful in the role that you have um you know taken on which is that of a venture capitalist in, in the country what would that be or what would those points be 
So I'll point to one, and this is something that uh, that a boss of mine who I used to work for at, at GE, he was now an LP in a fund as well. This gentleman's name is Puneet Bhatia. He now heads, uh, heads uh, TPG in India. Uh, he he told me, and he had less experience in venture capital than I did at that point. Uh, it didn't matter much because uh, a few years here and there, but nevertheless, he, he told me, Parag, don't... Uh, uh, it's it's easy to think about hundred reasons to to pass a deal. Uh, find that one reason to do it. Uh, I think he changed my outlook to to looking at a company. Okay, uh, and I think that is uh, that is something that is both uh, respectful to the entrepreneur and the right approach uh, to uh, to doing it. If you are in that one hour meeting with somebody and you are uh, you are orienting yourself to listening to that one big insight that he or she has to offer because at the end of the day uh, any entrepreneurial team however ordinary has spent a lot of time in that market space and there is something that they bring to the table uh, you if you keep your mind open uh, with that thought i think you gain as a person and you don't do not make the kind of errors of emission at times you reduce the errors of emission you can never remove them i mean uh, no wonder vesemer or whoever has that anti-portfolio in spite of who they are etc uh, etc et so anti-portfolio everybody will have but can you reduce your anti-portfolio is the question and that is one piece of advice or one one change of thought uh, that that Puneet brought on and and early in my uh, life I would say that change from a ICSA venture which which was a good place to be but but what had happened was as they say you are equal to the five people around you isn't yeah. you become equal to the five people around you and that was beginning to set in with me uh, when i was at icsa venture six and a half years and uh changing to a ge which was uh, up up in the north which is a very aggressive culture uh, but it had strong uh, good people like Puneet in there it really helped me uh, figure out who I was and figure out some of these things so placing yourself uh, uh, removing yourself from from a safety zone early in your career is probably a good idea uh, and and at least that is that is what worked in my case one example one can't form an entire sample but nevertheless, uh, it's it worked for me, and that is one piece of advice that I have never forgotten, and it has worked very well for me. I would say uh, to uh, bring me to where I, where I am today. Not that I am a hero or anything, but it's it's uh, it's. So w one thing that you mentioned there was you don't think of yourself as a hero, which obviously like points to the humility that you have. But second. You've also been in the industry probably one longest than some of the investors today that we come across have. So I'll take you down memory lane again. You know, you started off in the 90s where, you know, as I previously mentioned, venture capital, one, may not have even you know, existed in the, in, in the very shape and form that we know and recognize it today. In the early days, it, I mean, I, I, I don't even want to contemplate because I, I, I wasn't even there. Right. Um, I was probably just uh, four years old at that point <laughs> when you started your your journey in, in, in Indian VC. So take us down maybe memory lane and just give us an insight into what venture capital looked like in the early 90s. And how far have we come along as an ecosystem, as a country, as you know, as people who have really become a very interesting um, case study for a lot of business school students and people who want to just study venture capital as such. Because there was also a paper that I recently read, which, you know, where I, I, where it talked about the rise of Israel and the role that Israel plays and played in um, the world of technology and how a lot of it was alluded towards how the country had structured its education system and how it had uh, molded its societies so that everybody coming into the the workforce had a certain rite of passage before they could even embark on certain professions that they want to take up. But that journey, um, wherein most teenagers, you know, either become men or women, was also the point where you know people started to look at behaviors, and that was where they were trying to like mold and influence and instill independent thought. And that to me was a very interesting thing that from a macro perspective, 
that somebody would foresee and you really put human behavior into um you know part of a society and economy uh, an ecosystem that really changed people and how they thought about the real world and that really changed israel's course in history and how it's really positioned itself today in the context of let's say technology and to an extent we see as well in the role that it plays in the larger context as well of global um, uh, uh, dominance when it comes to um, when it comes to certain sectors as well cyber security is a great example where it excels computer vision is another one where it really has done a fantastic job in the last years but taking you down memory lane within the indian context what were the early days like and what were some of those inflection points along the way that one kind of kept you going and two has changed the course of indian vc Uh, so see as uh, as you said uh, i got into the industry when it was 5 years old in india and uh, the industry managed a whole of 50 million dollars that's an m okay that's yeah. 50 million dollars and and when we go out uh, used to go out and uh, go to entrepreneurs and try and sell the concept of venture capital give us some equity in your company it seems like growing nicely etc so they would ask uh, what interest rate do you charge so we are talking about those times <laughs> isn't it so people didn't didn't know the front of it from the back and it was generally uh, there was no internet at that point in time uh, i'm talking 93 94 and and uh, just pre internet i would say so it's uh, at that time uh, basically the only interaction between the us was physical interaction or what you read in newspapers etc etc so it was it was very little uh, honestly and and it was understood as funding high technology ventures and that ended up being uh, Uh, being based in bangalore nal or, or somebody coming out doing something in infertility etc etc and it was easy to convince oneself that india was was a large country even then uh, let's say an example like we had a company backed a company called hope infertility and and uh, every 100 person uh, 100 couple is infertile so uh, such a large market isn't it but mm-hmm. not not realizing that there's so much of a it's more than a slip between the cup and the lip between the macro and the micro in india isn't it you know you know this country it, it uh, your, your family runs business here so you know how how friction uh, how much friction there is in society here so yeah. so all of those uh, learnings in the Years, which were uh, trying to convert a macro thesis into into a micro one in India, which is not always easy. Yeah, definitely not easy during those times. Uh, then and then when I came in, uh, uh, this one was happening. I mean, uh, Manmohan Singh had just started liberalisation, etc. So uh, before me coming in, uh, a lot of the hypothesis on investing had been. Uh, had been towards uh, let us say import substitution and by 93 94 that started crumbling so uh, all of those things that uh, people read in 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 academic text today we actually experienced in front of our eyes and those were good solid business lessons and and the industry was uh, i mean at least i was part of the tech investing team which was about 20 25% of of tdicr icic ventures business at that point in time so we got to see whatever was there and and we got to see probably at uh, 10 companies a, a month or something like that as an industry which is which is just laughable today isn't it many of us see that in a day now so so uh, those those opportunities were what i like to call flavor of software isn't it mm-hmm. somebody somebody is doing something deep in uh, .net at that point in time or or uh, geometric software which was one of my early successes doing it in cad cam etc etc doing some tools maybe some small products but basically a, a services company with different flavors so that's what we saw at that point in time it's only in 2004 5 then that these uh, make my trips red bus in our case etc came along that it became a real real industry real product industry mostly consumer internet uh, saas came along later and and deep tech more much more recently so that's that's been the evolution that and some of the learnings from there uh, that i have seen but 
but all of this thing about patience, about about uh, long term feedback loops, long feedback loops, that's something we learned very early, and and choosing the right people more than anything else was important. And it's not gen- not necessarily the technologist who knows the technology is the is the right person. Those are lessons that we learned from others' mistakes at at ICSMNC as well as ours, I guess. So while you were also in, on the corporate side of venture capital and then now investing on behalf um, of large LPs in, in the country, you've obviously had two different experiences, two different theses. Um, the way that you perhaps had to also mold your own investing styles were different depending on the institution that you're a part of. So maybe perhaps also drawing comparisons to your time on the corporate venture capital side as well as you know where you are sitting out of uh, you know today where you are as as a fund manager and investing in your own thesis how did that really change you as an investor and so was it really difficult sometimes for you to perhaps push the larger institution out, out of its the, the the existing thesis that it had and really conf- or did it confine you and, and kind of limit your learning in, in some way or the other? So uh, the way I look at it is that uh, uh, one side of the job, which is the outward facing, meeting the companies, uh, drilling them down, et cetera, et cetera, was not very different mm. at, at corporate venture capital. Yes, fighting the system internally was was uh, much more, uh, much tougher simply because somebody sat in uh, 10,000 kilometers away in an ivory tower at times, didn't understand India. All, all of those challenges were there, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. But but uh, the day-to-day life was not very different from what I do today. Obviously, today we are much more, more mature. Hopefully, I've learned more. So to that extent, investing also looks different. But at its fundamental, the lower two layers of, of Maslow's hierarchy at least were, were broadly the same. I think the difference was on the fundraising side because at GE, at Intel, at ICSA Venture, you didn't have to worry about that. At that point in time, ICSA Venture now needs to raise money, but uh, not when we were there. So, uh, And that humbling experience, as somebody called it, humiliating at times as well. So, so that that makes you empathetic towards entrepreneurs. That's a cycle that as a uh, colleague of mine, as a partner of mine, Samir, who is our third partner, uh, besides Ruthvik, that is, he he says it is it is a system designed by God or whoever to make you empathetic. And that loop uh, got completed only when I started on, on the 2008 journey with Inventus. When you realize that you have to sell yourself and just like you, you are judging an entrepreneur on being on being a salesman uh, delivering uh, whatever he or she has to deliver to to multiple audiences with passion etc cetera, etc cetera. you have to do the same uh, in in front of uh, in front of lps and our job is even tougher in some senses because we have to convince uh, more than two three four five lps isn't it <laughs> many yeah. lps you have to convince so so that that appreciation was not there till about 2008 and and i think uh, only inventors and and Athera now is is where that that appreciation for that part of the business and the consequent empathy that comes along for entrepreneurs got got deeper uh, as as uh, as I moved from corporate VC to to this one. And you know, based on that question, given the fact that you know there's a lot of learning that you've had on the corporate venture capital side today, both from an inventor's point of view and Athera now today, right? And been in the industry for a larger part of uh, the next, the last thirty years. What today about Indian venture capital? One still surprises you. Two, kind of also makes you a little uncomfortable in a in a negative way. Like you probably are looking at the industry around you. It's probably an instance. I'm maybe also putting words in your mouth. But looking at everybody around you, some of the younger fund managers probably coming in. Um, it could be foreign investors coming in, looking at the market and really spoiling some of the early stage uh, founders, perhaps because they don't really have a complete understanding of how venture capital works and should work. Do you also sit sometimes and you know reflect back on the state of the venture capital today in the country and just sigh and say, oh man, I wish the narrative looked slightly different than what it is right now? Or are you completely satisfied with where we are today? 
One can never be completely satisfied. I don't think we are uh, there uh, yet as an ecosystem also. And and it's uh, bad to be satisfied with, <laughs> with the way things are. Then we'll never improve in the first place. So let, let me tell you uh, just one, one weakness, for instance. So what happens when a lot of people come into the industry is that... Uh, while while diversity, I argued earlier in our talk, is good, but what happens is that these diverse viewpoints, when it, when it comes to certain value systems, how you engage with an entrepreneur, uh, when you're sitting on a company's board, uh, who are you responsible for? Uh, do you take the company's interests also into account or not, et cetera, et cetera? And how, how you behave? Well, uh, there are two ways in, <laughs> to behave in my mind. One is the pre Copernicus view of the world where I am the center of the universe and, and everybody revolves around me as a VC. Uh, I, as a VC, am the center of the universe or the entrepreneur is the center of the universe. So some of those things, which were not a challenge, uh, even till about five, seven years ago in the industry, are becoming a bit of a challenge now. Uh, some of the private equity guys are, are investing. Some of them bring a very different outlook, empathy, et cetera, et cetera, uh, towards entrepreneurs that, that we bring. So these conflicts that we have at times with with uh, with our co-investors and and one-on-one conflict is perfectly fine between two two on uh, two uh, investors but when it entangles the company that's that's when it becomes really when you let your ego or whatever uh, warp thinking get in the way of of the company and of the entrepreneur that is a very poor place to be and that's the piece that that bothers me uh, bothers some of us uh, a lot uh, in particular where where i mean while while you have to be selfish you have to be uh, driven by your lps this thing but this is an ecosystem a growing ecosystem you can't be doing uh, something unfair which is morally unfair uh, forget about legally etc cetera, etc cetera. that's a different altogether different question that bothers me i'm still surprised by how much fomo there is <laughs> still uh, that that amazes me to this day uh, so uh, that uh, that is that is the third thing i would say is and and uh, not not particularly a nice thing to say to somebody who's sitting in the country that you're sitting in i, I think it's time we started uh, i mean uh, we looked at the US uh, for its positives. Uh, US brings a lot of negatives. I, I find uh, uh, from my experience, people just a bit too connected to the market. Uh, market, I mean, stock market there. So their sentiments go up and down a bit too much. I think I would like uh, India to reach a position where first thing it is, it is, it is making it up its own mind, largely in its own mind. Yes, US is a world leader. It is a 18 trillion, 20 trillion economy. Silicon Valley is is the center of innovation in the world. No, no doubt about all of that. But I think just blindly copying the sentiment there uh, with a with a lag of a day or or 12 hours is is not. I think we are. Uh, slightly more mature as an ecosystem now. So I would like some of that to uh, to change. So those are my pet cribs, if you will. You made a couple of like really interesting points there. And uh, one that really stood out to me is the the second point, right? We're, we're really talking about sentiment. We're really talking about how, you know, we as investors are really under, like developing our own understanding of where founders are also coming from today. And the little time that I've spent, the 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 biggest challenge, in my opinion, for somebody who is just you know breaking into venture capital or somebody who's you know in the early fifth or sixth year of their their journey in the country, is one yes FOMO, because you have such little understanding of you know patterns, changes, trends. You probably don't have the the context that somebody who's a little bit more senior has had. Um, you know, somebody who's probably been through multiple cycles, and I think. Somebody who came onto the podcast about six weeks ago made a very interesting point that it was a, it was a founder who said, "I'm always going to bring an investor on board who has been through at least one boom bust cycle." And if my cap table in every round does not have an investor like that, I don't think I've done a good job as as a founder in constructing my cap table. And that made me think a lot. And I asked, I've followed up outside of the podcast to ask this person as to. What was the thing that kind of made them have that realization to even begin with? Forget about why he he chose to do that. And his answer to me was he had run a previous company company before, you know, this one. And 
he quickly realized that investors who have not been through that cycle, while he constructed his cap table with just people who are willing to give his money, he quickly understood that the business that he's in is obviously going to go through an up, go through ups and downs. The market is definitely going to change constantly, and there will be cycles where, you know, there'll be investors who don't understand the market who will just panic and who give either bad advice or who hold themselves from investing further. or don't really look at the the investing journey as a long term exercise where while yes there'll be ups and downs and you know the market today looks very very dark in the context of say pandemic 2 years ago and you know a lot of people didn't really know whether this is going to be a winter that would last forever or this is just a short term thing where a lot of people who have been through you know the 2000 boomba cycle the 0708 financial crisis and other pandemic would really like understand that yeah this is temporary mm. and that giving them the context then to like know what kind of investments they should make in that period of time given the previous cycles that they've been through and he said that is really why i will bring on an investor who's been through a cycle of a boomba stand somebody who's just new to the industry i would love to get people who are but i would not have a good mix of that and I'm assuming you also had a very similar sentiment yourself, and at least been through three different cycles or four actually, because we'll also put the internet revolution of the '90s into it. Um, the first penetration of the internet and the ubiquitous spread of the internet, at least worldwide, from a consumer lens. All of these three, four cycles that you've been through may have also really influenced you as a as a person, as an investor. And as you're thinking about, let's say, the next five to ten years, right? from an india context what still excites you about the india opportunity and to what is your vision for the country and where do you really think we would be in a few years time let's say if it's 2025 in 3 years or if it's 2030 in about 7 uh, uh, and 1/2 8 years time what is your vision and where do you really think realistically we may actually be while it's also not easy to predict the future i i completely understand that but what is your vision hope to see where the country would be uh, about the vision i would say two things and uh, rutvik says this well see i think india has this unique ability to be both china and israel at the same time mm. since that israel small market hence uh, cyber security etc they didn't sell much in their country how much could they sell small small country they they sold it to the us first and the rest of the world isn't it so uh, so that that model the saas model uh, the uh, saas model in india so to speak uh, india can succeed in that as well as the consumer internet model which is which is i guess china is is at a scale which is very different from ours india can do that also now it is getting richer as well as there is there is uh, uh there is no penetration enough at least on the basic devices and and bandwidth and all of that so so we we have the ability to do both and and i have a slightly longer time frame than your question allows for but in my mind uh, uh looking at the us as a as a parallel top, uh, out of the top 10 market cap companies five are Uh, tech companies isn't it and there's no reason to believe that will not be the case in india so that's the way and and the tatas and reliance two groups have have understood this i hope it doesn't become a uh, there are concerns about uh, monopolies and and duopolies and whatever in india or conglomerates and all of that and uh, chai bowls whatever uh, so uh, leaving that aside but i i think uh, people uh, it's it's almost inevitable in my mind that the same situation will repeat itself we are a poor country we are, uh, uh, america had a head start innovation ecosystem is far superior whatever whatever it will take us somewhere between 20 and 20 25 years but we'll be there as that's that's the way i i see the vision for for this thing and and to get very specific i would uh, i mean yeah, you probably have seen this uh, this thing uh, the deep mind uh, this thing the uh, uh, the uh that go uh, that game called go uh, that netflix documentary you would have seen about about this company called deepmind that that uh, that 
uh, Google acquired uh, to to start off their, in some senses, artificial intelligence, machine learning effort, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and it's it's that kind of a company emerging, and that company emerged out of England, as it happens. But but uh, we we need something like that or a Skype out of India, and that I think will happen. Uh, Postman, etc., probably have to be there, and and uh, hopefully we will make the entire jump in the next five to ten years for sure. So that's another thing I'm looking forward to. <clears throat> I love that. And an, an extension to that question also is the role that Athira today plays in the in the ecosystem, right? Because Indian venture capital is really, really nascent in the larger context of venture capital in general, which is at least 50, 60 years old globally, or perhaps some may even argue more, given that maybe a lot of people will say the first venture capital check was written in the 1930s depending on you know what context we talk about. Now here, within India, we've not seen, unfortunately or fortunately, that the, you know, we don't have legacy VC funds to really look into and, and really point and say, hey, this is probably what we want to be um, molding ourselves or being in the same similar path and really look, look up to like investors who have done a fantastic job and continue to have built a generational brand here. What is the vision for Athira and where does it fit into the larger context of venture? And how do you see yourselves changing the industry? So clearly, I mean, for each one of us, and I think that should apply to Athira, Dave Bloom and India Quotient, whoever you pick, uh, all the Indian funds, that is. It, it is, has to be the ambition to be the Sequoia, the Axel of India, isn't it? Yeah. It's not Sequoia India, but Axel India, I mean, or, or Axel India. It is Axel of India or Sequoia of India. I think that has to be, that has to change. We have to... Uh, get to a situation where where uh, we get Indian, and I'm not much of a nationalist and one of those agenda waving guys, but but it is uh, it is uh, it has to be uh, that one of us have to reach a state where we become the. Uh, the first port of call, uh, uh, some of us. Uh, and mm-hmm. I actually, at my age, I, it doesn't matter who amongst us it is, but honestly, but one of us or one or more of us, ideally more of us, uh, have to have to get there. And that has to be something that we have to crack in the next 10 to 15 years. And uh, that is the journey that we think uh, we are on. And, what do you, What do you think that will do to the industry, Parag? See, uh, I think, uh, see, we are, uh, it, it will provide a deep fillip. In my mind, Indian capital, uh, rupee capital, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, we are exiting a company which is about 12 years into our portfolio now. And when we look at the returns, honestly, uh, we when we first invested in the company, the rupee was at 42.46 or something like that. And today it mm. is at 80, isn't it? So imagine that depreciation itself is taking away so much of the returns. Okay. Right. So just financially speaking, uh, you you have to think that these two these two countries and India's inflation rates have come down. This this depreciation that I that I am indicating is between two points, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, might not hold true, but the but the but the truth is that we will probably we are still much behind the U.S. and others. So to, to that extent, we will keep on depreciating. By that fact alone, uh, it should be. Uh, a balance. Uh, I mean, you should be investing in the same currency that that you are. Uh, uh, that you should be raising the same currency that you are investing. I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Second, mm-hmm. what is happening is when we raised our third fund, we realized that in our first two funds were dollar funds, and we had, if you know our history, we had both U.S. partners and India partners. Uh, now what is happening is forget about the Tatas and Reliance. The, even the uh, even let us say an FMCG company of 500, 600 crores in size, which was an LP in our fund, is beginning to see value in some of our technology companies. Okay, so uh, the uh, LP ecosystem adding value, provide being that first customer, being that or uh, somewhere between the first and the tenth customer for these things, uh, being a, a real source of value add, being a source of feedback to their initial products, etc., is also beginning to get important, which was a feedback loop that typically got completed out of out of somewhere in the US. So that is also beginning to happen. So this this mature 
authority all around uh, when when you raise money uh, that you deploy in in india itself will will lead to positive benefits i'm not advocating china china is a is a different beast different country etc etc where a switch can be turned on etc it will happen over a period of time that is why i am giving myself and my my peers 10 to 15 years but uh, this in my mind has to be uh, is has to be a destination for us to be a healthy healthy country not that i am against mncs or anything like that i'm i'm not that kind this is this is free i believe in ricardo and all of that all the economics around it but uh, but we have to prove ourselves uh, at least one or more of us have to prove ourselves and get to get to that stage today those three four funds enjoy uh, a larger ma- uh, mind share than than i think my my competitive sense allows them allows them to so allows them is a, is in a very uh, this thing uh, but uh, in courts obviously but uh, that has to change and uh, it is incumbent on us as as uh, indian funds to change that and maybe an extension to that as well is how do you, you see yourself leaving behind legacy as paragdol like how do you want people to I remember you and the role that you played in venture capital and uh, what is it that you probably want to you know when your time in venture is done how would you want people to like reflect back and and see the, the role that you have played in the in the ecosystem um, for the longest part of your time being here so that's what one deep mind kind of an investment uh, that that before i before i go before i hang up my boots which becomes the uh, the the genesis of of one of the uh, top most i mean uh, ml factories inside one of the largest companies in the world isn't it and that is that is something you need to do where uh, where you invest in something that uh, i mean you don't need to do but hope to do i should say uh, uh, but, but, but do you think you'll ever um find that in the context of time i'll tell you why i asked the question because maybe today you invest in a company like like a deep mind but it two things could happen right one is it takes time for you to actually like know whether that actually was a deep mind investment or not because it needs to play itself out two even if that that plays out that context plays out you perhaps will always feel something else can be the deep mind maybe that wasn't my deep mind it's always that It, the, 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 it's 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 having the benefit of time in retrospect and saying maybe that wasn't deep mind which kind of is a good thing because you're always chasing what in your head will perhaps be a deep mind in the future and you'll probably never be satisfied with that so do you think that might ever happen to you as well no, that's an interesting aspect i haven't really uh, thought about it see but uh, honestly at my age see i'm 53 years old i have to realize that at a point in time even today it becomes harder and harder to speak to an abhas and uh, or shitesh kind of entrepreneurs eh? at 21 years old it's it's a generational gap let's let's be honest and as a friend of mine i used to say there's a generation gap it'll be 5 years nowadays so you can count the number of generations between them and me but uh, but uh, leaving that aside it's it's after a point in time it will simply become the gulf is just too too hard i will not be able to keep up with things i will be i will be very pedantic whatever whatever so uh, to that extent there is a finite time frame uh, in front of me but i in in that finite time frame i won't uh, classify that for you or lay it out for you whatever that time finite time frame is uh, i i need to make one that in my mind is 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 that kind now will i be satisfied beyond that and <laughs> the second part to to your question i i haven't thought about it but that's an interesting angle for sure well at least the little time that i've spent with you on this podcast um i do feel that you may never be satisfied with 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 that investment you know because there's always going to be that opportunity and the way that you've shared some of the insights that you've had it looks like you're always looking for something that will be a deep mind and i think that goes to also show that you know athira as as a as a as a brand in the country is constantly looking for you know the right set of founders the right set of innovation to come along and more importantly really leave that mark behind for what others could also look and get inspiration from and that's one of the, one of the best things about doing the podcast is the learning that i can just have by speaking to people 
and the little tidbits that they drop over the course of the 60 minutes i i have i'm constantly making notes here this you know you spoke about ricardo in you know very in, it's just a one word but it was a fleeting right now i'm i feel like doing a little bit more research on some of the work that he's done like it's it's little things like this that people don't really realize that you know they they bring it up because it's just a, it's just a fleeting thought in their head that just gets dropped but the impact that it has on someone else maybe it could be me it could be a listener where somebody goes down the path that's a little bit more research and it just changes their mind their opinion just or just gives them more information to then go and mold their their what what they do want to do with that information is totally down to them it can mold their personality it can go mold the way that they're doing whatever they're doing in their day jobs or maybe what they'll do tomorrow in the future but it is that that really makes these conversations even more satisfying than just you know just getting to understand a little bit about venture capital it's everything else that people just say without really knowing that they're actually saying it that changes the course of somebody else's life and in fact very funnily i shared um, you know this so it's such a such a massive coincidence coincidence that i'm sharing this i put out a linkedin post today which was regarding a professor in iim bangalore who changed my life and he didn't it probably was the first time that he was reading that post knowing that he had changed my life he met we, we met about 13 years ago when i had you know at that point of time after i finished my first semester of engineering and i i just realized i didn't want to do engineering i dropped out and i would spend hours together at the iim library uh, because it was next to my house just sitting and reading books and papers as much as possible i spent months there before i bumped into professor suresh bagotilla at nsrcell oh, he's a good guy and he took me on he he took me under his wing when i approached him and i said sir i've you know this is my story i've dropped out i'm here i want to learn i want to like start a company he said okay come i have a project for you will you can you can work with me he this is the point where i was on the brink of depression didn't really know what i was doing in life directionless no low on confidence and he took a chance on me and he said i'll give you something to work on that really changed the way that i am who i am as a person today and connecting that to some of the stories and things that you've been dropping along the way in your own instance there's so much that you know people like you come onto the podcast and just do that don't really know what will have what kind of impact it has on the other person so what i'm trying to really get to is i'm supremely grateful for such conversations and insights and the candid um you know golden nuggets of information that you're passing along and this is something that is evergreen this is are going to outlive me outlive you outlive a lot of people because of the beauty of the internet that people can look back in time and just listen and really get an insight into what it was it also goes yeah, back to the point that your questions were very 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 good and very different i should say so so it's it's equally it's is uh, as much or more your credit than mine i guess so thank you so much and i wanted to thank you for being on the on the podcast and uh, i had a pleasure speaking to rutvik when he was here about 70 episodes ago <laughs> talking all about inventus and how inventus was investing into the country and you know the journey that he's had and it's been a very different conversation with you as well in the context of athira today but more importantly in the context of your own journey into venture capital and um you know thank you for spending a little bit of time with me here on the show and sharing some of the fantastic insights that you've had along the way as an investor now i i really enjoyed this conversation and beautiful questions as i said this was this was very good that i did it i'm really happy i i did it and you were very good well that unfortunately brings us to the end of yet another scintillating episode here filled with fantastic insights about the evolution of indian venture capital all the way from the 90s to where we are today in 2022 Well there were so many aspects about that episode that stood out to me and nuances about what a fund manager goes through on a day-to-day basis and some of the investments that they make that really define the course of the fund's future but more importantly the legacy that a fund manager leaves behind over the course of their investing career within Indian venture capital. Parag was able to share a lot of insights about temperament for any investment fund manager to all the things that surprised him about Indian VC. But most importantly the thing that I'm going to take away from this episode is Parag's humility, his appetite to learn more every single day, and his passion for working with early stage founders. That really came across in his example of speaking with the founders of Pixel and how he and the entire Athira team were blown away by the vision and the clarity that they brought to the table with respect to the company building. 
I'd like to thank you again Parag for sharing all of your learnings here on the podcast with us today. Well if you're like me and you enjoyed this episode and all the ones that we've been bringing you out so far, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. It really helps others discover the show but more importantly keeps you updated about all of our future episode releases. Stay tuned because we've got another fantastic guest lined up who is a unicorn founder and is going to be talking about building a very successful D2C business in the country. So I hope to see you on the other side next week and until then stay safe and continue to keep hustling everybody.